What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Channel, B1. Fuck that up again. I was supposed to say, what's up, Biker Bar? But apparently, I don't have my shit together yet. So here we are. In case you guys haven't noticed, I have this great lamppost next to me. That's Steve Y, in case you guys don't know him. He's the actually the very first subscriber that ever came out and rode with me. So um, he's not actually the guest on the show. He's just going to sit here, look pretty, that ish letting the locks all, hang. yeah all those all that the, the that beautiful hair that we use like pantene or something absolutely sweet <laughs> pro oil. there you go right so before we get started just want to tell you guys thank you so much for for hanging out with us again here we are every week usually on sundays at 5 p.m pst but this week i have some family obligations going on tomorrow so Keep the life, the the wife and uh, the life happy, or however the fuck that saying goes. Screw that up too. I'm 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 rolling, rolling really really shitty dice right now. So, anyways, anyways, let's get started here. So, first of all, if you guys throw up a super chat, thank you so much. I might not be able to like address everybody. I usually don't call that out, but I do appreciate it. That's the shit that keeps the channel going. It it is it is much appreciated because I have obviously a serious problem with buying beer. I mean, I don't drink it, I just buy it. So when you guys are, are donating to the channel, you're, you're, you're taking care of that shit. If you haven't been on my Facebook or my Instagram, please do that. It's at bikerb one I'm trying to grow that. It, it is, um, it's coming along, it's coming along. Doing well. Doing well, yeah. I mean, I got this guy, so. <laughs> I got me in. Two, two or three of you guys, that's that's about it. So check that out. Um, there, if if, you're wondering like what's going on with group rides. Sometimes I throw that up there. Um, but if you really want to know what's going on with group rides, like today, why this guy's here, join my Patreon. You can do that for a buck a month. It's a buck, seriously. And if you want some stickers, that's the good way to go about it. Five bucks a month, join the Patreon on that level, get a sticker pack, might even write you a letter, tell you how much I love you. Think about some other, like there could be some soul, soul like some deep soul conversation in that letter. Or it's just going to be me telling you thank you. It, it's up to you. You'll only know if you join the Patreon. So, moving on from that, um, work, working working out the this the la, 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 la. talk in English, Rob. That's what you need to do. So, if you guys want a hat that doesn't say hand up on it like this, you want one that says biker on it. Stop by shop.biker.com and you'll get that. And um, otherwise, let's go ahead and get started today. I have a guest on that I actually met at this point, man, it's probably been like four or five years ago. Hey, I, bought a, I bought a bike from this guy. So, um, and I had no clue who he was until he showed up in my garage. We started chatting. So this guy is apparently a professional rider. At the time he was riding for Marin, he's riding for somebody else. His name is Kyle Warner. Who are you riding for now, Kyle? Uh, I ride for Felt Bicycles, um, so that's my frame sponsor, and then uh, Felt Bicycles, SR Sun Tour, Shimano, um, PNW Components, Fly Racing, got a bunch of guys that helped me out, Michelin Tires, all kinds of good stuff, so yeah, I got a big crew of sponsors that helped me out and get me on the road, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. So where are you at right now? You're, you're, you're actually originally from Chico, right? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Chico, California, um, and then I basically moved up to Boise, Idaho about a year, a year and a half ago. Um, I met my girlfriend that I have now and kind of like started hanging out with her a bit more, and then I was living out of my van for a full year um, in 2017, so I was kind of no 
no tie downs, nothing, just kind of floating. And then once I met her, she kind of sucked me into Boise. And then I've been here ever since. We actually just bought a house. So oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You know, women have a way uh, uh, of making you grow some roots, man, but it's not a bad thing to do. No, <laughs> it's good. Yeah. And it was kind of crazy going from full, like, you know, van again, just living and traveling with no, no roots whatsoever. And then going to like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But, so whenever you're like doing the van life, like uh, uh, the, the pro, pro pro bike rider stuff, how, how do you go about meeting a chick? Um, actually, no, <laughs> I'm pretty bad at the Tinder game. I just kind of ran it, run like run into them randomly at the bars and stuff for out riding and whatnot. But um, yeah, my girlfriend April, she actually works at Fly Racing. She's a gear designer. Oh um, yeah, yeah, I knew who they are. Yeah, so they're like my gear sponsor, and I did like a, a media launch with them, and she was there riding and kind of hit it off, and then have been you know, kind of going since then, which is yeah, yeah. 2017 end of it. So that's a good way to lock in a sponsor. You're like, man, <laughs> my, my, my girlfriend. And then I got sponsored for sure. Yeah. Fly racing <laughs> does gear and girlfriend. Right? <laughs> this is like, they, they, they were like, this is the way we're going to set this guy up. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So it's been really cool, but yeah, everything's good. And now that I'm a little bit more rooted, um, kind of just figuring out ways to bring value to the table and, you know, I've raced for a long time and now I'm not racing quite as much. Just want to do more stuff, testing, um, kind of like what you guys are doing with the podcasting stuff and YouTube videos. And I have a pretty strong Instagram following, but that doesn't always like relate to building relationships with people because it's such a quick interaction. Yeah, um, totally. I, I know exactly what you're saying. So yeah, just kind of working on bringing value to the table and sharing some of the experience and knowledge I've learned from racing, you know, as a privateer, essentially my whole career. And I was North American Enduro Tour champion in 2014, 15, and 16. Um, so we did like back to back to back with Marin and it was really awesome. But I mean, we were wrenching on our own bikes every weekend, setting them all up, trying to figure out what to do, ordering parts, like, you know, doing a lot of the legwork there. So I've learned a lot over the years. And if I can help people avoid some pitfalls, you know, along the way, just I think when I, met, when I met you, so, so I, I should probably just tell the story. So I was, I, I um, had a single speed, like aluminum bike. I don't like riding road at all, but I was trying to think of a, a way that I could burn more calories so that I could drink more beer. <laughs> and so I bought this single speed and I started commuting to work and I was going like, I don't know, it's like 16 miles each way do, doing that. And then my lady, she, she used to mountain bike with me a lot. She got T-boned by somebody and through that process, her mountain biking game kind of got pushed back a little bit because it screwed her back up. So she started getting into road riding more. And when she did that, she's like, hey, let's let's start doing these road rides. And, and you can only do so many road rides with a single speed. And so I started looking for like, I was like, man, I can't bring myself to spend money on a road bike. But maybe I could bring myself to, to buying a CX bike. Cause I'm pretty close. I, I live in downtown Sacramento and there's a, a, a paved trail that goes all the way up to a trail system in what's called Granite Bay and the Grant Bay trail system, like a lot of, of CX guys ride up there. So I was like, Oh, if I bought a CX bike, I could like just leave from my house, go up there, do some riding on the trails and come home. And then if my lady wants to do like a road ride that has a bunch of elevation on it, then I'll actually have gears. I could throw some slicks on it and, mm -hmm. and I'll do that. So I start looking on Craigslist because I'm a cheap ass. And um, <clears throat> there's this dude selling this bike from Chico. And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, 
all right, this is a really good deal. Like, I'm not exactly sure why this guy's giving this bike up because it's like, like DI2 electronic <laughs> shipping, freaking carbon frame. And, and we're in the like sub 2000 zone at what we're, we're talking about for prices. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, maybe this dude stole this bike. <laughs> so, so like I'm texting back and forth and he kind of sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, in, in the best that you can in like a text, like it's not like, tell me your stats, bud. <laughs> so, so this dude shows up to my house with this bike and he, and he, and he rolls up in a, in a sprinter van, but it's like, there's, it's like totally base white, like nothing. It's not built out. He's got like a bunch of bikes in the back of it. And it's like, so if he did steal this bike, he stole a couple other really good bikes. <laughs> all, the, all the bikes. All the bikes. Stole it, all the bikes. Right? And he might have stole the Sprinter too. So I start talking to the guy and I'm like, you know, I'm just this fucking fat mountain biker, right? That's bullshitting my way into a road bike-ish. And I uh, start talking to the guy. I'm like, oh, you ride much? And he's like, oh yeah, I, I, I ride a little. And... Uh, <laughs> And lo and behold, he's like, yeah, yeah, I ride, I ride like enduro and some downhill stuff. I'm like, oh, cool. How long have you been doing that? Well, he's like, well, I'm actually a, a professional rider for Marin. And right about then I was like, yeah, typical fucking Rob fashion, just insert foot in the mouth. <laughs> I was, I was going to tell him at that point, oh, I got a YouTube channel, but I was like, yeah, no, shut the fuck up. dude." <laughs> so we ended up chatting and, and, and lo and behold, you know, that this is Kyle Warner that was selling the bike. So, um, I ended up buying the bike from him and, and now then, you know, my channel grew and, and I, and I actually got to a point where I wanted to tell him that I had a YouTube channel and, uh, we bumped into each other, I think like a year later or so in Sedona. Yeah. Either there or maybe even an inner bike for a brief moment too, but definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah I forgot about that. Yep. So, and then fr from there and then here we, here we are, we kept talking about like getting together and, and doing, doing this podcast together. So here, here we are today. No, I'm stoked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's I, fun. Yeah. I, totally. uh, I recently met uh, uh, Richie Rude and uh, I challenged him to a race. He, he didn't think, he thought that was kind of funny. And uh, so did I, and, but I had mentioned to him, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've done, done this podcast with a bunch of other people. Like, like Andrew Taylor and Jeff Lenowski. And I was like, I, I got Kyle Warner coming on. Like it was enough name dropping that he was like, oh yeah, this guy's not just fat. <laughs> <laughs> he actually might know a few of these people or, or maybe some somewhat freaking part, part of this community. So what I'm curious about dude is like, how do you get started to get to the level that you're at? As far as like, how do you get the skill level there? Or like get the support around you? Um, let's back up further than that. Like, how did you like get into riding bikes, man? Um, so I have like kind of a bit different story than most guys who end up racing. But essentially what happened to me is, um, you know, I grew up, we were super broke, like living in Chico is a single mom and she's been on disability for depression for as long as I can remember really. Um, and so I was always kind of trying to help her out and stuff. And she got really sick when I was in high school. And because of that, I started ditching school a bunch and started kind of failing out. Um, so like my sophomore year, my GPA was 0.5 for the oh, second yeah. semester. So it's not killing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, and, send it. Yeah. 
And before that, like, so basically I was just, you know, at home to help take care of my mom. And then I got a job at 15 to try to help support the house a bit. And um, because of all that, I was failing out of school and I couldn't really play football anymore. That was like what I wanted to do is always play football for the school. And what position I, did you play? I played QB, but I was always second string. We had a good first string guy. So I never really, I played a couple of times on the field. See, you're, but, so you're like, you're like Johnny America. You're like, I used to be a quarterback. <laughs> then I decided to be a professional fucking re- mountain biker. Yeah. Well, what happened is <laughs> basically with me, like kind of dropping out of school almost and, and all the teachers thought I was just a fuck up, you know, like right. full, just a waste of life at some point, you know, but they didn't realize what was going on behind the scenes. And like my sophomore year, I missed 186 first periods and there's 220 of them in a year. Yeah. So like I was just always busy and trying to help my mom out. And then um, when football kind of fell apart, I had a really bad coach and I ended up quitting. Just everything was kind of piled on me. And I had a couple friends that would go down to the dirt jumps like after school. And uh-huh. so I started trying to like find a cool little friend group that went and rode and um, really clicked with those guys and just started riding a ton. And like so at, I, that, at that point, you're just like, did did you have like any kind of like BMX background or? You- no, not really at all. And at that point, I sold, so I listed all my stuff on Craigslist. Funny enough, <laughs> and I sold like my Xbox, my GameCube, all my games. I sold like everything I could find in the house, and I saved up a hundred bucks and I went to Walmart and bought like a BMX bike. That's um, awesome, dude. So my first BMX bike was a Next, like you know, sixty eight dollar BMX bike, and I got like a Camelback too. So I had a hundred bucks to spend. Right on. And, <laughs> So I started going out of the jumps with that and just rallying <laughs> and everyone was laughing at me because I just had a piece of shit bike, but I would be there like, you know, basically all day because I was just ditching school trying to go like get some stress relief from that. One of, one of the things that I always tell people and they don't always fucking believe it, but it's not the bike that you ride, dude. It's the engine, you know, well, and, sure. and, and and like that's really inspirational of what you're saying, dude. I, I kind of had a similar start like whenever I got into mountain biking originally like my mom started dating some guy that was into mountain biking back in the 90s and they bought me a bike from from Montgomery Wards and I was out there riding with these guys that were like had all these badass bikes and it was just like that's that's <laughs> what I could afford man to get totally. you know but but it 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 made me a, actually it made me a stronger rider because I was riding this like 50 pound fucking tank and I was keeping up with these other guys that were riding good bikes. And I mean, good bikes at the time, they were still all yeah, like fully rigid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fully rigid bikes. They were like, I remember the first time somebody showed up with a full suspension bike and they paid like 1500 bucks for it. And everybody was like, Oh my God, why would you do that? You know? And, and, uh, and, but either way, like whenever I ended up getting rid of that bike and, and and getting like a real mountain bike, it made a big difference, you know? Yeah, it makes you appreciate when things work. And yeah. like, dude, I this one memory I have that like was a distinct memory from that whole time period. This is when I was about 15 and a half is I was riding my next BMX bike. I got a front flat tire and I was like, oh, okay, fuck it. Like, we'll just keep riding. It was like Friday evening, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just keep riding. I don't want to go home yet front flat tire, kept hitting the jumps, was like not able to hit the corner very good. So I cased one real hard, got a flat rear tire. And then I was like, oh, I still don't want to go home. Like I'll just keep ripping it. So I'm like hitting the jumps with two flat tires is coming up short on them, bent the cranks, ended up like breaking my crank arm, is a single piece crank. And uh-huh. I was just like laying there like, fuck, like what am I gonna do now? You know, and um, it was funny because some of the guys at the bike shop, local bike shop had kind of taken note 
of me already just because I was always going in hanging out and just I really like the vibe of being around nice bikes. Yeah, um, yeah. And so they helped me kind of get set up on like a nice specialized BMX bike for like a used one for 300 bucks. And that was really cool. And that was like my first step towards like an actual bike and, you yeah. know, brake, brakeless BMX, just kind of riding whatever. And oh yeah, um, that's how I, I learned how to jump. I kind of started out BMX, but more like street BMX. Like we would just ride around town and like, essentially we were doing like tabletops and shit where it would be like, you're jumping over an alleyway. Totally. Or you're, you're jumping over this or like, it would be like, we would spend all day just riding around town to that other jump that we knew of or that other like little spot that we could session. And um, I didn't have like good bikes either, like originally. And I, and I had a, I took this job. I wasn't even 16 yet. So you couldn't like get a job legally. And I got this job at this pizza shop that paid me like 20 bucks an hour. They were like, or not 20 bucks an hour, 20 bucks a day. So like, like I would work there for like 10 hours for like 20 bucks. And I was like, I had a, a mongoose bike on layaway at the like local bike shop. And when I got that bike, man, it was like the thing to have, but it was just like what you were saying. Like back then we, we would take all our brakes off and stuff. Cause you wanted your bike to be as light as it could be. And totally like the, the, the that's how you like, kind of like almost like your bragging rights of like, how long you've been riding would be like how deep the, the cut in your shoes were from yeah. using your shoe for a back break, you know? Yeah. Or how, how much blood you had pulled on your shin. Yeah, right. <laughs> but back then, I mean, I, I, I know you're a bit younger than me. I'm pretty sure you're a bit, how old are you? 26. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit younger than me. Thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so like, like back then we would ride vans, but the vans that we were riding were like the old like boat shoe kind of like, like version, you know, where it's just like, just a canvas shoe with a little rubber bottom and, and pedals sucked, dude. And the ones that you did ride, they just come up and just beat the shit out of your yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days big time. And it was funny because like basically, like I said, about 15 and a half got the first good bike and um, really like was able to fall in love with riding more and more. Because like you said, like when the lights went out and the sun went down, the only thing that you could do is go to the college campus and ride all the lit stairwells and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, hit two stairs and three stairs and try to bunny hop and land in a manual and do all these fun things. So the high school that I went to, the high school that I ditched every single day, I'd go to every night and ride the two stair there and just, <laughs> and just learn how to like jump it. And then it was kind of like a pad so you could jump manual across and then land. And that's what I just did every night. Cause at that time my mom was pretty sick and um, just being around it was really difficult. Like obviously you want to be there to support as much as you can, but like it's really draining being kind of like the man of the house at, at 16. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was, as soon as she was basically out like asleep or whatever, I'd just go out and ride till one or two in the morning and then, you know, go to bed eventually, wake up late for school, miss first, second period, then try to pin it to school and get one or two in there. Yeah. But yeah. yeah at, at a certain point, like, you know, we had um, child protective services knocking on the door, like you've missed too much school. Like we, you know, my mom was going to get in trouble. And so I just started looking around and found homeschool um, and enrolled myself kind of in a homeschool program in Chico. And then that way, I'd only have to meet with the teacher once every 28 days and basically could just ride all day, every day, and then do my homework in three days before I had to meet. <laughs> and just, you know, that was like my life from then on for the last two years of high school was doing the homeschool thing. Yeah. And that, that was like the best decision I ever made. 
And it was tough a little bit from like a social standpoint because you don't have your friends you go hang out with every day at school. But my friend group was the people at the dirt jumps and the older guys would be there during the day, you know, and then all my friends would get out of school at three and then we'd all just go shred till dark and then go to the college campus after that. So it was, uh, it was really fun. I enjoyed those days a lot. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there, dude. Freaking, um, my, my, I, at one point I'd lived with my grandmother and my grandmother actually worked second shift. So she would basically be going to work whenever I would be leaving or I would be getting home from school. And then it was just like, same thing, go out, ride bikes, ride totally. bikes, ride bikes. I mean, that's all we did. And I had like my group of BMX friends that I rode with, like that were all my age. And then my mom, like I had said, had got together with this, this guy that was into mountain biking. And oddly enough, like even after they had broken up, I still would mountain bike with him and all his friends, which is like looking back on it now, I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> but like, but it worked out, you know, and, and that that's kind of like what got me into mountain biking was like, I just, I, 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 it was like a different way to ride bikes more, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, that just like fueled the fire, you know, how, how did you end up getting into mountain bikes then from, from all the, the dirt jumps and stuff? Um, so basically what happened was, um, I was dirt jumping on the BMX bike a ton and then. I'd seen a couple guys. There's this crew that's kind of famous, but um, like Zach Dank is this guy that used to build some really sick trails up in Chico uh, Megalia Forest Ranch area. And uh-huh. he would have like, you know, the McCalls, the Seminuk, like all these guys come down to ride the jumps in Chico. So there was like a really strong dirt jump scene of hardtail guys. Um, and I started to see those guys and they were just like shredders. And I really looked up to them. And eventually when I could afford it, I ended up buying a hardtail. Cause at this point I was working at that bike shop that kind of helped me out get that uh-huh. specialized. So I was working, you know, when I was, um, as much as I could three, four days a week and then would save up money and I bought a hardtail. And then from that, we just started riding that on trails, like just having a good time and, um, actually learned how to dirt jump that pretty well. And then a few of the older guys that are on the Chico state mountain bike team, um, came by the dirt jumps. They saw me riding all like dirt jumps. You weren't going out and like riding like Bidwell and like riding like single track. We would too on the hardtail, just rear brake only, just go play around. But I mean, it was literally like four or five miles an hour, just picking your way down rock gardens. Like, like I wasn't good at it at all, but I loved it and it was fun. But it was so far away from where I lived that pedaling over there was a beast. And I didn't actually get my driver's license till I was eighteen. So I was on a bike till then, basically just commuting on that and everything. But basically once the Chico state guys saw me riding the dirt jumps one day, they're like, Hey, like you have some good skill. Like you can corner well. Cause I was, I really love lines where you'd like hit a hip and then corner and then boost out of, you know, the corner big jump afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And so they'd saw that and they're I've like, seen that done. I, ha- I don't do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were like, man, you would really like riding mountain bikes. Like, let's go. And I was like, I'm down, let's do it. So I borrowed a bike and they took me out into the Hills, like kind of East of town a ways. And, um, yeah, that was my first time really riding with those guys. And it was insane. And I remember that first day, like I was in the truck in the back shuttling first time ever shuttling first time riding single track mountain bike. Like I was like, dude, I want to well, do they, this. They, you right then. they were like, let me show you how awesome this is. Let's get in this shuttle. Yeah. So they, they didn't introduce you by like, let's go ahead and do this grueling fucking climb on <laughs> all the way out there and then freaking get you to do. 
I don't know how it is with Bidwell, dude, but that place is like uphill both ways. Yeah, it is. It's rocky as hell. It's all lava flow. So like there's more rock than dirt. So yeah. like, we, we get lucky. Like I count the amount of dirt patches you find on the trail, you know? Right. <laughs> so I think with that place, whenever I rode up there, like I, I was like, if you're a local here, you know when to break into stuff, you know when to let it go, like so that you, you're like, oh, right around this corner is a steep ass little punchy climb. But when you're like coming up there and just riding it blind, that's that's a it that's a trail, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was no. like two and a half hour drive from Sack. I was like, dude, I don't know if I want to do that again. Yeah. yeah. Well, me and my best friend Adam, who is kind of my little dirt jumping buddy, like the jumps were right by his mom's house, so that's why I'd always go like steal, you know, knock on the door. Hey, is Adam home? Let's go ride. And uh, right. he was, he, me and him would go out and kind of play in Bidwell and like. We didn't know what the hell we were doing and we'd literally hike up like one 200 foot section of trail and just session it yeah and yeah like i didn't know what a mount like a cross-country ride was for years and you know after right. i started riding i was like oh wait you don't just walk up this hill and ride down it so <laughs> like we just play like that but my first time actually like mountain biking was with the chico state mountain bike team and those guys were called the Thunderbringers. they're just a bunch of shredders and uh oh, nice yeah and they they taught me right for sure and that was when i got hooked so ever since that day it was like full focus 180 and i stopped going to the dirt jumps as much and just started wanting to go fast uh -huh. so i loved it so like, when you first did that you said you borrowed a bike from someone yep yeah for my buddy adam so he had a mountain bike his mom was able to kind of help him buy one um full suspension like an old norco 24 inch downhill bike yeah and yeah so that was like the first one that i borrowed and rode for real and then yeah, Adam, if it wasn't for my friend Adam, I never would have been able to do that stuff. So, so uh, let me ask you a question. So going from like the Walmart bike that you were riding prior to that, how did it feel to ride an actual like true mountain bike? Oh, it was insane. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's so hard to really fathom because basically what I would do on the Walmart bikes, I'd be like, oh, I want to hit that jump and you land and your handlebars fly off and your grips shoot off and your pedal break <laughs> off. And you're like, God damn it. Like that sucked. Like it just ate shit for no reason, you know? <laughs> and then when you get on a nice bike, like I remember one time just dropping off like a four foot like loading dock and I landed and was like, boom. And it was fine. Yeah. Like, no way. <laughs> like this is you're sick. Like, you're like nothing fell off. I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah. Like literally, like we used to just huck off stairs. You land at your handlebar just bends, and you're like, Fuck. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was the biggest thing I noticed is just like durability and being able to push your limits and be like, oh, I think the bike will hand up, like hold up to this, you know. I think that's one of the things that like a lot of people don't realize. Like like when you buy a good bike. And, and when I say good bike, like you can get a sub thousand dollar bike. That's actually a decent bike nowadays. But like when you, when you buy a bike that is actually not like a, a big box bike, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they can actually take a little, a, a little bit of beating, you know? Totally. And, and like, I, I feel like nowadays, I mean, I, my Bronson is like a fucking $10,000 retail. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I I recently bought a Santa Cruz Chameleon, and it's like the bottom of the line. I bought purposely the bottom of the line bike, a because I knew I could you know like work deals to get kind of you know parts to upgrade it. But I also wanted to like set my head straight on like, hey, like this is what it what it's like to buy you know something that that's like 
right out the store. Like this, this is the bottom of the line one that they're they're selling. I mean, and granted, it's still an eighteen hundred dollar bike. So, okay. I mean, but, but at the end of the day, one of the things that's really blown me away is it's one hundred twenty millimeters of suspension. It's a hardtail, and I'm still like. For the most part, I can I can be like right on some of my buddy's trail tail on like a lot of trail. Yeah, like totally. Lots, whenever it gets like super chunky, it's like for an extended amount of time, they'll pull away from me because of that suspension, you know. Totally. But but on most most of the shit that a lot of people ride is not like you don't need a six inch bike for it. No, mm -hmm. and I mean, dude, <laughs> the first time I ever had a bike that had all the correct parts on it, like the right brake adapters and like the right like a SRAM, you know, a Shimano shifter with a Shimano derailleur, like everything was actually meant to work together. That was 2014. Right. So it's like I was already racing pro for a couple of years. And like before that, I would run like the raggedy, the most raggedy setup you could imagine and just try to get by because like I was super broke. You know, my family doesn't have any money. And I was just working at a bike shop and I figured out that if I work two or three days during the week, I can take two or three days off and kind of like get through the weekend at a race. Uh -huh. So that was all my money went at work and then I'd spend it all at the race and then work, spend it all at the race. So, yeah. So how did you, how did you get started then? So like you, you start riding the bikes with, with your buddies and you guys are like session in some spots and yeah. like, when did you get to a point where you're like, I want to do a race? Um, so like that Thunderbringer, like Chico mountain bike crew, they basically brought me up to Ashland and they were like, we're going to do this race called the spring thaw downhill. Like you're going to kill it. Like it's going to be awesome. And I was racing junior at the time. Um, so I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's go. I just, you know, sleep on the floor with those guys and brought a bike up there. And, uh, yeah, first mountain bike race ever came out the gate. My chain fell off. It got sucked into the wheel, blew like six spokes out. And I flew off the side of the hill. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So first race ever was a DNF and I was pretty bummed. Like I had some pretty high hopes, you know, like you're like, Oh, I feel good. Like, I think I can yeah. do this. And all those guys were pumping me up like, Oh, you're going to kill it, dude. But yeah, first race ever DNF. And then a week later there was a Mount Shasta downhill and they brought me out for that. And I ended up winning. Um, uh -huh. And the, that was, you know, first race I ever completed at, what level? at junior expert. Okay. So, oh, wow, dude. So like you went in strong then, dude. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I was 16, like 16 and a half first time I ever did a race. And I was basically went straight in junior expert, did one half of a why season. Did you start there? Like why, how did you know that you should ride at expert? Or you just were like, I'm a uh, badass. I got this. No, not at all. Like I didn't know there was really other options. I was like, you know, all my buddies were pro and they raced pro and they're really good. And I just was always riding with them. So they were like, Oh yeah, sign up for this. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I didn't know anything about yeah. it. Never been to a race. I'm like, where do I pick up my number plate? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was just all new to me and fun. And they were like, do this. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. Did it one. I'm like, sweet. This is cool. So how did but, it go? Like, how did, like, how did that race go for you? Like you, you like, you were like just in your head, like, Oh, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not good, doing good enough. And then all of a sudden you found out you won or like, no, like, you dude, like no, you were like, no, dude, I'm, I'm fucking slaying these people right now. I don't know. I think that what's funny about me, especially cause I became like more of a racer is that I'm not like a super competitive person with other people. I'm more competitive with myself. So essentially when I'm doing a race, I'm always like, God damn it. Why'd you mess that turn up? Why'd you do this? Like, or, Oh, you should, you need to hit this. Like, figure out these lines and I don't even care how I do against everyone else. It's like how I, how my run went for myself. So even then I was like, Oh, I hope I can make it down clean. I don't die. And I'll yeah. be stoked, you know? 
Yeah, for me, I'm not competitive with strangers. Like, like people are always like, oh, you should do a race or whatever. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck about any of those people. I just want to beat like my friends. Totally. So, like, like you, you know, so like I can kind of relate with what you're saying in, in that manner where it's like, I don't really have that, that need for it any other way than just like, I just want to go out and have a good time. And it means more to me to like, I'm never going to beat any of my friends up the hill. I've never, <laughs> like, even when I'm in like, super good shape like way lighter than i am right now like i'm i'm just one of those guys that's a slow climber yeah but i've always been able to like smash on the down you know so like for me it's like that's always where it's like okay well fuck you guys you guys will get up there five minutes before me but once we get to the top gravity's on my <laughs> side motherfucker you know? <laughs> yeah it was it was weird because like for me um i'd never really gotten like that level of um like kind of people being stoked for you and like helping you supporting you and you know just having a community that's like dude you fucking killed it like this is awesome and so i remember after that first race when i got that taste of like if you do good and you are fast people will like you more and i was yeah. you know 16 years old dealing with a bunch of shit at home still and i'm like i gotta be fast like i want to do this because i want people to like me and that was basically how i started racing was like if i, I know if i did well people would be stoked and would try to help me out and you know i just wanted people to kind of like me and invite me to the rides with them so you took a, a better route than me i was like if i show up with beer or i sell them weed <laughs> like me. and uh apparently that wasn't the right way to attend to, like, <laughs> to, to put my attention but yeah for the short term right <laughs> no and it's i can't remember shit now but <laughs> yeah it's funny so so you you did that that race so that like that that just got you started then so yeah that kind of just flipped the switch on and then from there i wanted to race every weekend i possibly could and i raced all the north star races and then i got picked up by specialized at the end of that year because i was winning junior expert at like the north star races and all that um specialized huh. picked me up and gave me a frame and a dirt so how does that happen like they like they just like pull you aside at the race and they're like hey or like you knew somebody like they called your house yeah. like so basically like with through the chico crew one of the guys that graduated from chico state his name is matt sipes and he actually was working at specialized at the time um uh -huh. and so he was friends with all the guys that were helping me out and then they kind of put in a good word for me and they gave me a frame and wanted to support me and just thought that i would be a good fit for the brand which was cool at that time and i was a total idiot i didn't even know like that with sponsorship that you should like tag people or like post videos or like you know, I didn't know anything on that end. So I was a pretty terrible athlete to sponsor, but I was like fast at that, at the junior X level. So is that something that they expect, you know, like whenever you get sponsored now is like that, like the social media presence oh, yeah. of it or? Yeah, big time. Like there's full on like paragraphs of social media clauses and how much you're supposed to post and when, where you're supposed to hashtag and when you're supposed to do it. And it's crazy. Wow. And they'll send you like, when I was riding for Smith um, glasses, they would send me like, Hey, it's national sunglass day. Like here, post this photo with this hashtag with this caption. And I was like, no, <laughs> like right. that, that's stupid. Like, yeah, no, I mean, it's different. Like it's interesting to hear it from that perspective. Cause the way that like that I am kind of doing business with these different companies is definitely on a, a whole different like kind of level, you know, but, um, it's definitely that that's really interesting to hear because like i know that everybody kind of like brokers their own deal you you know what i mean but i definitely have like come into things more where it's like 
if if somebody's trying to tell me like, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z, I'm like, nah, fuck you, dude. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm telling you right now, like, if you want to like have some kind of partnership, like for me, I'm not getting paid by anybody, but maybe it's just parts or something. Yeah. It's like, dude, I guarantee you, like your parts will be in my social media. I will talk to you about it. Yeah. Or I'll talk to people about it. I will, I will be an ambassador on the trail for you about it. But like, I can't, I can't freaking do what you just said a minute ago because I will lose all the integrity of like what my yeah. brand is, you know? Totally. And, you know, I've been fairly independent my whole life and, you know, kind of just been my own kid and found my way through all that stuff. So when people tell me that I need to do this or put this face forward, you know, yeah. they're like, fuck off. Cause that's not who I am. And like, that's right. not why I got into this at the end of the day. I don't care about race results. I don't care about any of that stuff. Like all I wanted to do was do good enough so that people could help me and I could just ride my bike around the world and have fun and meet friends. And that was yeah. it. That was my motivation was like, if I do good, I might get sponsors. If I have sponsors, they might pay for stuff and I don't have to work as much and I can ride more. So I was like, so, so when you left my house that day after I bought your bike, I was like, I should probably look this dude up, man. And I freaking like, like look you up and, and sure as shit, man. Like, you know, hell of videos of you riding. And I, and I watched you do this downhill run. And like, I never really, um, I've never been a person like, like that, that's been like, oh, let's see what like pro riders do or watch videos or like to me, like I said, I was always like just more concerned with my friends, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and when I watched you do that run and it was like, any section that you could possibly fucking pedal in, you were just like giving it every fucking thing you had. Like there was no way that you could even say a word. Like it was just like all the breathing that you could do. And you're just like hammering it. And I was like, holy shit. Like that's what it takes to win. Yeah. Like, for me, like I never realized that. Like in my head, it was just like, it was like, because I've never watched it in my head. I was always like, Oh, you just go fucking like smash the trail, you know? Like I didn't think about it where it's like, no, dude, you are giving it a hundred and ten fucking percent. Totally. All the way from the beginning to the end. And I was really impressed. Like honestly, like, like I said, like when you left out and I looked at that, I was like, man, that is that's impressive, man. Like, that's a solid effort, man. Totally. No, I mean, I remember my first ever enduro race I did was in 2012 at Bend, like at Winoga Park, they had an enduro race there. And uh -huh. I was downhiller coming into enduro and just wanted to try it out. I was like, all right, this will be cool. And dude, we had like a 14 minute stage and I was, I think 17 or 18 years old, like still not legal to drink or anything, but I came through the stage, tried so hard. I threw up all over my arm. Like basically was riding down the trail, had puke all over my sleeve and on my arm was a sprinting, came across the finish line, threw up again, then pounded a beer, like threw it on the ground and just laid there. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, how old is that fucking kid? And I was like, oh, like dying, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was so much fun. Like I love kind of being able to push that hard. And like, if you get a reward from it, you're like, oh, this is sick. Like I'm willing to do this, you know, be in the hurt locker. But so you, you started out with that specialized deal. Mm -hmm. And how, how long did that go before you, you went to the next level? That was only one year. Cause like I said, I sucked at being an athlete at that point in time and I didn't know anything. So I did one year with them and then I rode for Canfield, uh, Canfield brothers bikes. They're like a downhill bike company. So I at did. that point you, you started like, you were like full in on like down, like, like legit downhill at that yep. point. 
Yeah, so I raced Junior X downhill, and then I turned pro in 2011 for downhill. Um, uh -huh. And I started racing the Pro GRT downhill series in pro class. And uh -huh. then basically it was sponsored by Canfield for 11 and 12. And Canfield's um, a big name in, in downhill bikes. Yeah, they are, especially in North America. They have a really, they had a really, really sick bike at the time called the Jedi. Yeah. Um, and I love that bike, but basically I rode for them for two years. And then, so, I mean, dude, you, you, you like worked your way into like some really big fucking names right out of the gate. Yeah. And just, so you, you didn't, you didn't come in with some smaller like companies, like a specialized, like that's the fucking biggest grill in the room. Totally. And, and then you went to downhill with Canfield. And at that time, like, like maybe people don't know Canfield as much now, but like at that time, like they were that, sick. Yeah. Yeah. That was the bike. That was totally. the bike. No, and that just came from like, I always tried to just be, um, just be appreciative of stuff and being at the races. Like I went to literally every race I could. And so being around everybody, they're always like, who the hell is this kid? Cause I was always, skidding into the finish line with you know shit flying off my bike and blood all over my arms and but i like in junior i raced 29 races and i won 26 and i hit three trees so i was like basically like dnf3 and then won everything else and so That's awesome dude it was yeah it was like the mentality was you know i want to win and do good and i don't care what it takes because that was literally like my path in my mind i was like i need to be pro i need uh -huh. to do this Cause I couldn't afford bikes otherwise. And I couldn't afford to travel a race. And I was like, this is all I want to do with my life. Like I need to be pro. So, so at that point, like as far as like people seeing you on the, the trail or at the race, like they're thinking, Oh, he's sponsored. Like he's got his, like he's dialed, but it sounds to me like at home, you're still pretty fucking broke and totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even like at the race, I wasn't very presentable per se, like, you know, specializing Canfield would give me some frames and then deity components is my next big sponsor in 2012. I believe I picked them up. Did you say deity? Yeah. Okay. And so like with those, I was just getting product flow, you know, but still like I've raced in a t-shirt and whatever shorts I could find for years. I raced in my local bike shop t-shirt and, you know, was winning races in that. And like, I wasn't like, just factory. real quick for people that aren't in the industry when somebody says product flow basically that means that they're giving you parts but you're not getting any money yeah so basically when a sponsor gives you product it's at a much lower cost to them so you know a downhill frame like landed cost could be under four hundred dollars for them right. so right. they're giving you essentially a four hundred dollar tax write-off for them right. you know Right. Um, and like with handlebars and whatnot, it could even be, you know, 20, $30 in product to get you through the year. And you're like, okay, cool. You know? Yeah. So, that's just one of those things that here on YouTube that I think that a lot of people don't know is like what those industry terms are. Cause yeah. most people that are watching a, a lot of people that are watching YouTube, they're, 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 they're in this from the standpoint of like a regular Joe, you know, totally so when they hear like, Oh, this person's an ambassador. What does that mean? That still doesn't necessarily mean they're getting a paycheck. No. And you know what I mean? So it's like these like key terms that people hear, like that doesn't necessarily Yeah, there's a wide mean, range for sure. Right. right. Because, I mean, I know guys that are, um, you know, sponsored and they're paying 50% for product. Right. And you're like, that's not a sponsorship. That's a sponsorship is supposed to mean you're getting a paycheck. Exactly. And that's yeah. what I think a lot of people, you know, they try to say, oh, I'm a pro mountain biker. 
But if you're not making a living from it, like if it's not your profession, then you're not a pro mountain biker, you're a hobbyist. Right. And at the end of the day, that's the distinction. And I was not a pro mountain biker until 2014. It was the first year I ever made money from it. Right. So like I raced. So you had a minute ago, 2011 was when you started racing pro. So it still took you three years of fucking killing it yeah. before you got to a point where it was like, I don't need to do like odd jobs to like, like eat. <laughs> yeah, it was, it took me like three or four solid years before I even got a single paycheck from any company ever. So it was like, you get free parts and that was huge for me. And like, basically I'd get enough product to kind of put my bike together most of the way. And then I'd pull tires out of the dumpster at the bike shop and, you know, find old chains and put them together, like all kinds of stuff. Cause you know, when you get a new chain on a bike, you cut it and there's like excess. So when I worked at the shop, I'd like take all the excess and make a chain and that'd be my chain. And dude, like, that honestly, that, that it, like, I love hearing this story, dude, because of that. Like, it's like, it just shows that like, it's determination. It's like, that's true grit that gets you there. Totally. And, and it's also stupidity because you got to <laughs> be committed to like, you got to be committed to something that's not working. And that's like, you know, the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Right. And I'm literally like hitting every race doing everything I can trying to win races, doing everything. And I'm not making a single dollar. And you're like, yeah, I'm killing it. Like, let's keep going. And at a certain point, um, you know, when I was racing enduro, I timed it really well, luckily. Like 2011 was the first time they ever had an enduro race, like US anywhere, you know, or like anywhere in the world. It was like 2011 enduro race happened. And then I started racing in 2012 and was one of the early kind of adapters. And uh -huh. so 2013, I raced the full national series, just, you know, living floor to floor, kind of hopping around with my buddy. With, and he so what does that mean? What does that mean for people that don't know what that means? What, what is the full national series? Um, so at the time there was a national or sorry, North American Enduro tour. Uh huh. And so that meant that there was, I believe seven or eight races across the U S mostly the Western side. So like from Washington, Oregon, um, California, Colorado, and then kind of anything in that West zone. So there's like eight key races throughout there and we do those eight races and you get points at each event to try to win a, you know, national title. Um, and so, so I did you're, that. you're like getting yourself to each location on your own, right? Yeah. My friend Casey Kaufman was, you know, sponsored by, um, the brand that I was sponsored by at that time in 2013 was felt bicycles. Uh -huh. And so Casey was my um, friend and also sponsored rider from them. So we hopped in his old, like 1970 something Astro van and, just lived right. on that for six weeks and hit every race we could. So it was, it was a good time. It was a lot of work, but it was fun. It was fun. I'm sure. I'm definitely sure it was fun. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of good stories about road <laughs> trips and stupid, stupid shit that happened, right? Yeah. Way too many, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. So like with that year, um, I started to kind of come into my own and I was, I believe 19 years old and, uh, came into my own that year a bit and started to do really well. And I got my first ever podium at like a national level professional event. Uh -huh. So, you know, top five at a pro national event. Um, first time I ever did that. And so at the end of that year, that event was um, the, the week before Interbike. So basically I got a podium. We turned around, drove all night from Oregon all the way to Chico, dropped all our shit off, then drove out to Nevada and then did Interbike that whole weekend. And I basically was just, slinging sponsorship resumes and proposals. And um, that was when I talked to the guys at Marin Bikes and 
they decided to kind of come on board and be like an actual financial supporter of me. And so that you, was, met, you met them at Interbike then? I did, yeah. So my friend Daryl Voss, um, who is an engineer, he does like the nailed suspension system. Uh -huh. So Daryl actually introduced me to um, Matt, who is the CEO of Marin. And I chatted with Matt for a while. And yeah, he was really cool and just kind of liked my story, liked what I was all about. And was like, yeah, we'll help you out. And I told him, this is how much I need to get through a whole year. If you guys can do that, that'd be amazing. And basically they gave me, between them and SR Sun Tour, they gave me $18,000 in budget. And they're like, yep, go race, like do your thing. And so that was uh, 2014 was the first time I was ever like a professional, like I right. said. So how, how did that feel when, when you were like, dude, dude, I'm getting fucking paid. Yeah, <laughs> it was so crazy, dude. Like I just so many times in life you get excited about things and last second they get swept out from under you. you right, know? right. And so I like literally was like, it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. Like just not trying to get excited until the day I signed the contract. And I was right. like, yes, like so stoked. And then a week after I signed my contract, they fired everybody at the company. And I was like, fuck, oh, like fuck. And yeah. it was just a change of, they, like they changed the complete employee structure. But I called them and I'm like, Am I still sponsored? They're like, yeah, you're good. I'm like, cool. <laughs> That's yeah. tough, man. I've built some good relationships with people in, in companies. And and when they leave, you're like, well, what does that mean? You know? It is, yeah, it's hard. And then, you know, the hardest thing is you build a really strong relationship with whoever is your like point of contact. So like your yeah. asset manager. And then you might not be able to build like a relationship quite as deep with like the other guys, but that athlete manager a lot of times leaves within two to three years. Like it's a high turnover job for whatever yeah. reason. And so it's hard because you just got to always do well and then try to ha have as many friends in each company as you can. So that if someone leaves, you're not left hanging, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the one thing that I learned in the time that I've been doing this, and obviously I'm not at the same kind of level as you, but I I'm definitely like kind of like getting to be a little bit more, more of a part of this community the bike industry is really small yeah you know so like you you definitely it's about networking and it's also about like like good relationships like you you could be a douchebag and even if you're like doing good things that, that may not play out well totally yeah and one kind of lesson i learned luckily the easy way was um you know, I was always just really nice to the mechanics and stuff that were at the races. Like Shimano would have like a neutral support or like whoever would have like a neutral support. So they'd help you work on your bikes if stuff went wrong. And I would always be like, really, so neutral, neutral support means like they're not giving you parts. Neutral support like, means that, like a local bike shop decided to just show up, put up a tent. And if any racers bike gets fucked up, they'll help you fix it to a certain oh, okay. extent. Got and it. So sometimes like brands would do that as well. Um, and I would always try to be really cool to those guys. And then like later on, a bunch of those guys ended up becoming marketing managers in the industry. And so you're like, Whoa, like I didn't, he was quote unquote, a nobody or someone who couldn't, wasn't in a position to help me. Right. You know? So people are like, Oh, I don't waste my time with that. And you're like, dude, if he's a cool guy, be nice to him. Right. So a lot of athletes don't talk to those people. They just kind of, you know, here's my shit, fix it later. Yeah. So I was That's always a sick move, man. I, I believe, dude, and, and obviously, like what you're saying is like, like what goes around comes around, man. For sure. You're like, shit, dude, like that's going to come back to you, man. And that um, says a lot for your character, you know? Yeah. And if you can just be 
cool to everybody. And then later on, they're like, oh, I remember that kid. He was nice to me and had no reason to be nice to me. And you're like, you know, and then later on, they want to help you out. So that's where a lot of my sponsors have come from. But <laughs> right on, man. So, so you were the last that we were talking about sponsors you were at with Canefield, then you went from them to Felt. Yep. Yeah. So and from I, Felt to Marin. Yep. And then was Marin for four years and had uh -huh. three North American Enduro championships in that time. So I won that title three times with them. And then I had one. Well, when you say that North American championship, so basically like out of all Enduro racers, you were number one. So there was, so the EWS, which is the Enduro World Series was still a thing, but there was also the North American Enduro Tour. And so uh -huh. that was an eight round tour throughout North America. And so Canada, US, Mexico. And uh -huh. so at that point it was across the entire coast too, like coast to coast. So we do yeah. some on the East Coast as well. And there was a group of guys who didn't have EWS factory support like myself. And basically what we were stuck doing or not stuck, but what we did instead was did like the national series. Cause you could kind of drive from race to race and then fly sometimes too. And there was a handful, like maybe three or four Americans that didn't do that series because they were on an EWS team at the mm -hmm. time. But I raced guys, you know, like Marco Osborne, who's like a top 20 EWS guy. Cody Kelly, who's an EWS guy, Nate Hills, um, you know, Ross Schnell, like JHK, just a ton of really, really great riders raced that series. And so we battled week in and week out and I was able to get the overall championship uh, three years in a row. So how is, how is it on the, uh, on the pro scene? Like, are, are you guys like, like fucking fist bumping or like, man, fuck that guy. I need to be like, <laughs> like is everybody pretty cool or. Yeah, everyone's really cool. So there's not much like animosity. The only time there gets to be animosity is if say you're in like a championship and it's the last few races of the year and people are really tight, you know, because there's some yeah. financial um, obligations or financial uh, reasons to be a little bit nervous. But like like if, if you're sponsored at that level and you're not winning, like it could be a, a, a matter of like, I'm going to get dropped. Totally. Yeah. And like, even for me, like, um, when I was doing really, really good in 2015, I believe if I won a race, no matter how much the race paid, I basically get like three or 4,000 bucks on the back end for my sponsors. Uh huh. So like, you know, a first place was like four grand, a second place is like two. And then uh -huh. a third was like 750 bucks. So you're like, fuck like if someone beats you by one second, you're like, God damn it. That was $2,000 that I missed out yeah. on that one second. So one second. That and is I've had that happen like many, many times where you're like, ah, oh, you know, and right? it's the same guy over and over again, then you kind of get frustrated. But other than that, like everyone's trying to do the same thing. We all practice together and ride together and stay together a lot of times at Airbnbs. So it's a really cool network of guys. That's awesome. Who are some of the guys that um that that you still look up to today? Um, dude, I don't know if I like really look up to anybody or like guys I, that you like that you're like dude that guy's fucking solid man i really like yeah. that person that's kind of what i was gonna say is like i don't really like look up to people but there's a lot of guys that i respect yeah um, that i think that was the word i was looking for yeah and i respect so many of the people that are out there racing just because we're all doing it for the the right reasons like no one's getting rich off this and so right. the reason we're doing it is because we really enjoy it and if you're a cool dude and you know you're a good rider that's cool too but you don't have to be a good rider for me to have respect for you 
So I respect a ton of the amateur dudes as well and the pro guys too. So, yeah, no, everybody that I've met in mountain biking, like, and, and I'm, I'm going to like break it down to that level. Like the mountain biking community for the, for the most part is like super chill fucking group of people <laughs> and, and guys that I've met, like, like you or like, like Andrew Taylor or Jeff Lenowski, like all, all these guys that are like fucking dope ass riders. Like everybody's like super chill. Totally. Like, like even when I met Richie rude, like, dude, when I said to him, like, I was like, Oh dude, I heard you race. You want, you, you want to, you want to go like, go, go try, try to see if you can beat me. Like, like he could have been a fucking dick to me, but instead he would just laugh and he was like, all right, dude, I get it. I see. What you're <laughs> like, no, it's funny. And it's such a small sport. Like what I always tried to tell people, especially like up and coming kids that started to get a little bit of an ego, you know, you're like, dude, if you were in, you know, Italy and you just won the world championship title and you go out for pizza that night, no one knows who the fuck you are. Right. Like no one cares. And if you're at Safeway, no one's stopping you. No one gives a shit. Like we're all doing this just because we like it. And some guys have put in more time behind bars, you know, like just yeah. riding and they got good at it. And so if you're good at it, that's cool. But it doesn't mean that you're better than other people. So so let's talk about that, dude. Like, how does that make you feel then whenever it's like somebody like me that's like not a fucking pillar of fitness that is not a freaking like out there like putting in the work like like that you're putting in, at least like at, at, in that way, like where I can show up and freaking like people know who I am. Like, does that make you feel like, like what's going on there, man? No, I mean, you're putting in the work too. It's hours, you know, and yeah, your hours, your hours editing and your hours of doing outreach and your hours doing this stuff are just as valuable as mind training. And yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways you're just smarter than us because yeah. you're able to like maybe do a little bit less damage to your body and then still have, you know, a, in an in industry. But yeah, I thought about this, you know, like, like I'm not a person that by any means wants to like, like take the food off anybody's table. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I notice with YouTubers or even just like with, with Instagram, like there's people that are just Instagram and that's it. Yeah. Like they're not even editing videos. They're just like throwing up fucking clips and, and, pictures. Yeah. and, um, and they're, they're, they're getting these sponsorship deals. They're getting, they're getting cash. They're getting parts. They're getting like flow, you know? Yeah. And um, it, it's definitely when you start thinking about that, like at the end of the day, the bike industry, like they have margins, right? So there's like a marketing budget and, and they're going to spend that marketing budget, like where, where it, it, it makes them like money. Yeah. And, and it's not like when this new, group of social media people came out that they just was like, Oh, well, we need to double our marketing budget now. You, you know what I mean? So I, I oh, know dude, that if I was in the group of pro riders. I would, I would personally feel like, wow. Like, like either I need to like be part of this or I need to like, like, that's kind of crazy. Like I'm out here fucking killing myself for this. Oh yeah. Well, and just like from my experience on the other side of that is it has gotten harder than ever to make a dollar being a you know pro athlete right now because yeah. why would a company pay someone? Why would they give me 10,000 bucks to represent a product 
when they could give 50 Instagram kids that get a few thousand views on every video, they can just give them some free product. Yeah. And, and then the kids will tag the shit out of it. They'll post it every single day. They'll do whatever they can. And like the cumulative amount of views is probably greater than what I can promote, you know? Yeah. So like the, I think what sponsors don't necessarily understand yet is that, you know, how many likes equal a sale and there is no yeah. magic formula because if you have a really devoted following of 35 people, you could sell more product than someone with 300,000 people. Yeah. And so I think, I think there's that there's, there, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Jeff Lenowski that I was talking to one night and we were just like on the phone, chopping it up, drinking beer or whatever. And, and um, I'm pretty sure it was him. And we were talking about that and it was like, there's a different maybe and if it wasn't i'm sorry if jeff i threw your name out there like there was somebody i was talking to and they were like you look there's a market for different kinds of branding between like social media and a pro writer like like me as a social media guy dude if i tell people that like fox suspension's the best suspension ever like that doesn't fucking hold any weight compared to a guy that freaking like is smashing fucking championship rides and yeah. knows like, Hey dude, this is like, I can tell you like, like somebody like you can be like, I rode that shock and I rode that shock and I can tell you that shock will make me win. You know, whereas somebody like me can be like, dude, this is the most comfortable helmet that I've ever fucking worn. And more than likely I could probably push more like soft goods like that than somebody that is like, like pushing that like component to the 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 ends and also has the skill set to recognize the differences. Yeah, but I think a good brand has to have both both people covered. Like you have to have the relatable person that can actually like say you find another guy who's bigger and you're like, dude, this Fox 36 fork, you know, is great for the racer, but if you're over 200 pounds, the, the crown separates and it creaks like a motherfucker. Yeah, so yeah. it's not good for that guy. But then yeah. you can be like, oh, I found this really cool like $700 Suntour Duralux and it's maybe not a race winning fork, yeah. but it doesn't creak. It doesn't do anything weird and I can ride a bike every day on it. Yeah, so, and I'll tell you that that's something that the bike industry at this point, at least from my perspective, I'm sure you see it as well, that they're starting to learn. For sure. Yeah. And, the, and the bike industry is just maybe like, it's always kind of one to two years behind like the average trend. So like, you saw guys getting pushed so hard into YouTube in the past like two years, pretty much. Like it's been a big thing for a while, but you're starting to see like all the big companies advertising more on YouTube. You're starting to see the uh, influx of money be so much greater. And yeah. the bike industry still, I had a conversation with someone and they were talking about like a, a pretty good YouTuber guy. And they're like, why would we sponsor that dude? Like he doesn't even do anything. And you're like, you're missing the point so much. Yeah. Like, you're an idiot. Like, I don't know. It's so hard. And honestly, like, like I can, I can relate with what you're saying because I, my channel is not huge, but I do have a really solid fucking following. Totally. The companies that I've done some stuff with, they're like, dude, we have, you know, like you sold a shitload of our product, man. Like, like, because you're relatable and people fucking are like, they, they believe what you're saying. Totally. And I'm not saying anything that I don't believe in. Like, I'm fortunately in a spot where I have a full-time job, like, like, 
and I'm sure like, I, I'm not trying to say anybody like doesn't take a sponsorship that, that they're not like, you know, believing in, but no, it happens, it but yeah, happen. but it happens, you know? And so like, like for me, I'm in a spot where it's like, dude, I don't, I don't need your product. You know, like when I reach out to companies, I'm reaching out to them because it's like, dude, I actually really like what you want, what you do. And I would just like to be maybe like compensated for that, whether it's just flow for me to talk about it, totally. you know, like, and I'm going to talk about it even if you don't, but I at least want to freaking try to get some free wheels or something. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, it's been, it's a really, um, really quickly evolving landscape right now. And I think that it's hard because like this year for myself, I've had like the most amount of social media hits last year. I did good at some races. I had lots of tons of outreach and been doing stuff behind the scenes, product development, all these photo epic trips and stuff. And it's been the hardest year ever to get sponsorship funding. But well, for me, the, the thing that I feel bad for you guys on is like, basically what this is doing is like telling guys like, oh, you need to be a pro rider and good at social media. Yeah, and like, good at editing and good at posting yeah. and good at so it's you have to be multifaceted and what I what I keep trying to tell my friends taking oh. pictures is not easy. No. Like 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 you you like honestly at the end of the day you're like, yeah, anybody can take a fucking picture, but like if you don't take good pictures and like don't have good content on how you're saying it or you're not engaging people in that, people don't give a fuck, man. Totally. I've um, seen guys that are like Dope as fuck riders, dude. Sick as shit. But they're not getting a social media following because like they, they just don't have that part. Yeah. You know? Well, and even one thing that I've really experienced a lot lately that's frustrating is like, so 2018, this past year with like my videos and the reposts that I've gotten from other, you know, Instagram pages, I've had over 10 million views and, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of likes on all the videos. But what's happened in the past six months is that since Facebook owns Instagram, they've slowly been turning it into a pay to play situation. And so now if I post a video, it doesn't get nearly the organic reach that it would before. And you're starting to see all these sponsored videos post instead. Yeah. yeah. So it's tough Cause like, as I've even had some guys that I know that are in the Instagram game more than, than the YouTube game say that like, even if you have, like if you change your Instagram account to a business account so that you can see analytics that you are not getting promoted as much as if you have a personal account. Totally. It's like, it's kind of like a double edged sword because it's like, on one hand, it's like, you need to see those analytics. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you're not going to get promoted as well, then what the fuck, you yeah. know? And it's frustrating. Cause I feel like I almost pigeonholed myself a little bit, just focusing so hard on that one platform of Instagram and trying to build a good following and get good outreach on there. And now they control my outreach because yeah. if they were to turn off Instagram tomorrow, then I'd lose that, that not fan base, but I'd lose those followers and that the channel yeah. to talk to them too. So no, it's tough, you know, it's tough, definitely tough, you know, and it's like, like, like what if YouTube goes away? You know, like yeah. there's only a matter of time until like YouTube won't go away, but there's only a matter of time until somebody else comes out and tries to do it better. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And I think what you're going to end up having is luckily YouTube's owned by Google. And so they benefit from the search engine optimization so much, right. but I think you're going to start seeing Facebook and Instagram really try to just squeeze all the money out of it. 
And yeah. it's going to become just like something that's unrecognizable from what it is now. And you're already seeing that with like, it went from 15 second videos to one minute videos to now, if I post a video on my story or sorry, not my story, but my timeline, you know, like an actual Instagram post, it gets hardly any views. But if I do an IGTV, it'll get like a hundred thousand. Yeah. They're promoting IGTV to fight YouTube. Yeah. So I think on there. Instagram, Instagram is, the, is the company right now that you can look at and say, that's the one that's going to be the contender for YouTube for right now. You know, yeah. like, like they have, they're building that platform that, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'll tell you without a doubt, like I started my YouTube channel. I started my Instagram and my Facebook for, for biker all at the same time. I started Twitter at the same time too. And like, I, I, my, my Instagram channel is the one that is, like as far as outside of my YouTube, like that's the one that that's doing the best, right? So like like they they definitely have a market. The only thing that I don't like about Instagram that I'll say, and I, I don't know, like like I feel like like you could have a bunch of followers because you did like hashtag Hawaii once. They don't mean like they like those yeah. followers aren't necessarily like followers in the same sense of YouTube is. No, it's not. And the other thing too is on Instagram, it's so easy to buy followers. Like, and that happens a lot. And that's been really frustrating to view on the outside is like, you can look at people's engagement percentage, you know, there's like some analytics sites and you can like go through and sponsors are looking at engagement percentages, but people are buying like tens and tens of thousands of followers. And it's, it's easy. Like I get hit up every single day in my DMS from just random, like Chinese companies. They're like, do you want to buy followers? It's, uh, I think it's a hundred dollars for 10,000 followers. And you're like, yeah, like it's super yeah. easy. And then you can look like you're someone and yeah. it's, I, don't know. Yeah, I, I've definitely like thought about, there's a lot of people that will go out like sub for sub shit. Yeah. And, like they'll have like a bot that does that for them. So they'll sub for sub and then they, their bot will actually like remove all those subs. And now all of a sudden they got like 30,000 fucking subscribers or a hundred thousand totally. followers. Well, there's this guy, I don't mind throwing people under the bus sometimes when it's blatant, but they have this guy mountain bike geek on yeah. Instagram and he has, I think 98,000 followers and he gets 900 likes on a photo. And you're like, dude, that doesn't make sense. You know, yeah. like they say that a good engagement percentage with a post is like 10%. So if you have 30,000 followers, you should get 3000 likes on a good photo. Right. But if you have 98,000, you're getting 900 people in five comments. That's bullshit. Yeah. And you're going around shopping the sponsors like, oh, I have this big following. And it's like, it's, I don't know, it's frustrating. One but, of the things that somebody told me along the way was like, you know, don't follow a bunch of people and that's what they'll see. So like for me, it's like right now, I, I think I got like little under 3,000 followers on Instagram, but I follow 50 people. Yeah. You know, and so like 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 company can come and look at that and they're like, look, he's definitely not buying these fucking people. You know, yeah. what I mean? they see when I post like like my engagement's high, I'm talking to them. And that's what I talk to people like because I don't have big numbers. I'm a, I'm a niche guy because I, I'm 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 fucking overweight, I'm not a shredder. Um I I'm just funny. You know, I'm funny, <laughs> I'm a good talker and people and like people can relate with that. Speak for yourself. Right? <laughs> and uh and and but like what i always like t tell them is like look the people that i have they're fucking they're dialed man like thank you guys all of you guys seriously like you guys are here because i'm not bullshitting you know what i mean yeah and i think that goes a long way 
in the long run, dude, maybe it, maybe it'll take me fucking like ten times longer than than some other guys to get big numbers. But the people that I'm with, like I have said from the beginning, like this for me, this is a fucking community, man. That's what I'm building this on, and and I am happy to be part of this community and happy to continue to be part of this community, and and that's where like. I think the truth always fucking shines. You know what I mean? Totally. Like what you do, like 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 that that like that. I'm I'm a, like a big believer in like karma. You know, it's like <laughs> you do you do it right, man. It's like people people will 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 identify with that in the long run. Whereas like if you fucking fluff them for a bit, they'll catch on eventually, dude. For sure. You know. For sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's uh yeah, it's a, it's weird to be in the game right now trying to make to make a living as a rider cuz I'm not racing as much anymore. Um so Yeah, so you're making a you're making a change. So like how does that happen? You know, that that's a conversation that I actually haven't haven't gone into detail with like Andrew Taylor. Like he was yeah. you know, he he won freaking or not won, but he like raced in Rampage, like did a lot of a lot of wins like a badass rider, but what he does now is like they're like like his last thing he did is like basically like drove around the whole United States and freaking like did videos and Instagram and stuff like that in all these states. And you know, I'm sure he did some other stuff outside of that, but he's not racing, but he's paying the bills, you know? Yeah, totally. And for me, what it came from and why that transition needed to happen is because I was at the races and I was like not engaged anymore in it. Like I didn't care really how I did and I was there just like trying to race. But then on every track, there's one or two things that are scary. And if you're not actually focused on what's going on, like it's, it's just an injury waiting to happen. And so right. I started to like kind of feel myself get a little timid. And as soon as I started to get timid, I'm like, pull the plug. Like I don't need to be here and get hurt because right. if you're not giving it a hundred percent, that's when you get hurt. And so, so how do you make that change? Cause I mean, like that's something that like Jeff Lenowski did as well. You know, he like, he, he turned it into like going out and doing like these sponsorship kind of like demo rides for different shops and stuff like that. And yeah, like, like he's still a, a quote unquote pro rider, but he's not, he's not out. I mean, he's still racing here and there, I think, but he's yeah. not like, that's not like that. That's not the, 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 the mainstay of, of what he's doing. I mean, it's tough. It's a tough, that's a tough thing to manage, but luckily because I've been loyal to my sponsors for a long time, like, I've been with Suntour for six or seven years. I've been with Shimano for six or seven years. And, you know, I rode for Felt in 2013 and I've been with them for two years now again. Um, like all the brands were really cool with it. Cause they're like, dude, just keep trying to bring value to the table. Like do your thing and go talk to people and relate to people and make their ride better. If you can help us develop the product better, that's awesome. If you can go do a few races and do the social media stuff, that's cool. Like all they want is for me to just be a, proactive force in the industry for them you know because like at the end of the day like i just want to help the, the brands that i work with just do better and so that's kind of it really but it is hard when you don't have like i'm going to do this event this event this event this event they're like what are you going to do all year you're like i don't know <laughs> i'll just try to keep yeah. it fun <laughs> and that's hard for them to, to kind of cough up money sometimes to make that happen but so you're like traveling around or are you like doing like different events or are you like doing just like, like photo shoot kind of stuff or. Yeah. Well, it's kind of tough. It's like Jack of all trades, master of none. So right. in, 
like in January, I went down and I did a race in Bootleg Canyon, and then I stayed for a few extra days and I shot a promo video for some new Stan's wheels for the Flow EX3, which just came out. And then I went like straight from there, came back home, did a couple little things in home, and then I flew to New Zealand for two weeks to go shoot for a project. Then I came back home, did a race in Georgia, came back home, flew to uh, or went to Seattle, just did a photo shoot that weekend, and then like it's I'm still jumping around a lot, but mostly just trying to create content for brands to use and then also doing product development. So, so it's like, so that's how you're, you're, and, and please tell me like, if you don't want to talk about anything, like be like, let's pass. Like, no, like open. Just, yeah, so, if you have any questions, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So like what it is then is like, like when you see that sick ass video of the stands wheels, like that's what they're paying you for to come, come like, ride this trail and fucking show that our product's fucking dope like that. yeah or, or like with that stands project what it was was hey we have this opportunity we're going to do a new wheel launch would you like to be a part of it i was like hell yeah let's do it i want to do this this and this here's a videographer i want to bring down and they're like all right cool we'll cover all the expenses for that and then we'll get it like basically you come down you get a free edit and then in return they gave me like a little bit of extra product on the oh. side for that so and Stand like all aluminum, they're not doing carbon yet, are they? Huh? They do have some carbon rims, but I don't run any of the carbon stuff. I run aluminum just because it's like easier. And I don't know, I, I ran carbon wheels in the past and been sponsored by some brands in the past that were carbon. And I just break them too much, like, like way too much. So I just run aluminum and good spoke tension and they're solid. So right on, dude. Yeah. I think for a guy like me, man, uh, actually, Steve and I had this conversation earlier today and or maybe it was somebody else on the trail and they were talking about like how i felt about carbon wheels and i was like as a big guy fucking like i'm not telling you that you can't build a, a great freaking aluminum wheel because i rode stands flows for a long time and loved them as long as you had good hubs dude that's like to me that's the more important part of the wheel totally. but as a big guy dude like i, I i'll get on some guys wheels dude that like like demo on a bike or something like that and it I'll feel that flex. I mean, I'm a sure. motherfucker, dude. You know what I mean? So like, I'll, I'll feel that flex and like, you know, or at least for me, like that little bit of flex when I, let me back up for a second. Well, like, it, just, I understand what you're saying too. And yeah. that's like, like, again, everything, you know, you have different riding styles and different everything, but yeah. what I came from was like, when I was racing a bunch at the events, like if you break a wheel, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like a little bit of added flex is worth the not broken wheel. And then from yeah. a consumer standpoint, like an envy one envy rim is $700 and yeah. one stands rim is $68. Right. So you're like, like you're like, oh, okay, cool. But at the same time, like I rode envies for a long time and they were sweet, but yeah, if you're at a race and you crack one, you're like, oh no. That's so it. yeah, that's where I came from. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, in Sedona a couple of weeks ago, like I, I pushed a spoke through my rim tape and that couldn't, like that doesn't stop. <laughs> like like stands like, or orange seal or whatever you're using doesn't stop that hole. No, I can't touch that, it's on the bottom. Yeah, at that point, like if I was racing, like obviously I'm not a racer, but like if I was racing, like that would be, that would have stopped it. That would have been the end of it. So like oh, I can yeah. what you're saying, like that's definitely like you're, you're going for, I want something that's definitely going to durable. Like, be durable. Yeah. 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 For like me, the lightest bike that I've ever raced on is 32 pounds. Right 30, on. Like 30, 30 to 32 pounds is like my kind of standard 
going. Like, I, I'm like when I met you, what what were you weigh? Probably like like one seventy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like for me though, like to have stuff that holds up throughout a whole race season or throughout a whole weekend, going fast and like just hitting the sketchy stuff. Like I need aluminum wheels. I need downhill casing or close to downhill casing tires. And you know, I'd run like SLX or XT components that are just a little bit more durable and yeah, aluminum handlebars, aluminum stem, aluminum everything. Like the only thing carbon I have on my bike is my frame and my headset spacer. So, so <laughs> I was ha- I was having a conversation with somebody recently, like, and this was what I was kind of getting into a second ago. Like, it takes a long time of riding bikes to really be able to notice differences. Like some people are pretty like in tune with it. Like they're better than others. Like, like this guy, like is better at, at noticing, like we go demo a bike together. Like, like he'll be like, Oh, I feel this. I feel this. Like, I don't get that. Like, but, but it does take a long time to be like, Oh, I know that this hub with this engagement makes this difference. I know that this wheel set makes this difference. I know that this kind of tire makes this difference. Totally. And it takes a lot of experience to get that. But, um, yeah, or even like with, with felt bicycles, I've been helping them develop a prototype bike right now. Um, and we're at the stage where we're literally like, they send me three different rear triangles with slightly different carbon layup. And then you have to test a different carbon layup and see which one feels better. Right so on. Like, yeah. I mean, just just in the, in the chat, man, he must've knew we were talking about him. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a man. So let me ask you about this. So with the carbon layup, knowing the, the the three different ones, can you feel that difference? And it's like, oh, this is absolutely noticeable. Yeah. And they did a pretty good job of making it a big enough difference. So like the light one was, I think, 50 grams lighter than stock. And then the heavy one was 50 grams heavier. So that's like a lot of carbon material difference. But you can totally feel it. And especially like the stiff one in that case was really good in corners and it was good on landings, So the wheel didn't flex, but where it wasn't good was on rock gardens, like the high frequency vibrations, it transmitted a lot to your feet. So you're like, Oh man, like we have to figure out this fine tuned balance and then do what's best for the consumer at the end of the day. So, so that's what I was going to say earlier when I was kind of leading up to it was like, how do you get to the point where you can actually tell the difference in a frame? Yeah. Because I've been riding for a long time and I, I, I still, cannot aside from a road bike like the difference between an aluminum and a carbon frame like i i don't know if i have the skill set <laughs> to actually like know the difference like do you yeah for sure and i think that just becomes or that comes from spending so much time on a certain model and yeah. then you just slowly change because like when i rode for marin i basically rode the same bike for three years straight which is the attack trail and because of that like we went through very, very small revisions and you learn so much from the bike, what each little thing does. But right. So like when you're like, and that's one of those things, like, like when I did the Bronson Bronson uh, review on the new bike, I said to him, I was like, let's go up here and let's rent the new one. And since he's just about as tall as I am, like let I, I won't be able to tell the difference unless I ride mine, the old one and ride the new one and then get back on mine. Like I won't be able to tell the difference if I was to just like go ride it, but and then also not ride it on my my trails, totally, I can't freaking tell you like it, is that better? <laughs> like, I will know if it's better. That's like, oh, I cleaned that section that I don't normally clean, and I didn't clean it because I was feeling strong because I actually did that on the second lap. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's whenever you can really like. Well, and I think 
one thing that's tough too is that there's with a bicycle it's the most technically advanced non-motorized sport like it's insane as far as non-motorized sports you have hydraulic suspension you have hydraulic brakes you have carbon frame layups you know tires wheels spoke tensions you can play with so there's so many variables and the hardest thing for a lot of people is maybe they feel something but they don't know what to change to address it and yeah. so like racing different tracks like we'd go race a race in colorado and then one week later you'd be on the same bike on the east coast and you have to set it up completely different for that type of dirt and that terrain then yeah. one week later we'd be in whistler and you got to set it up completely different for that so i mean we do things even like you know changing spoke tensions very slightly just to get more flex out of it and compliance and all oh, kinds wow. of fun stuff so there's a lot you can do and once you tweak with everything you're like oh that's what that does <laughs> But right, right, right. That makes sense. I always compare it kind of to like a guitar player. You know, a good guitar player can do can make it in tune just with his ear. Right. But for me, I got to have the little fucking dumb thing on the top and be like, "How the hell does this work?" You know, ding and tune it. Yeah, in. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot with people like with the shock whiz and things like that, like those um, you know shock analyzers, yeah, yeah, whatever. Exactly, what we're talking about. Like some guys need that to kind of point them in direction, and that's totally fine. And then other guys can feel like. Oh, I need two more clicks of low speed. The high speed's a little bit stiff. We need to back that down. Or like my oil's a little bit thick. Like I need to go from a 10 to 7.5 weight and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. When you have that experience, I can definitely agree or like relate with you in that manner too. Like where like I I always like don't realize how much I know about bikes until I'm starting to talk to somebody that doesn't know about them. Totally. And and like when when somebody that's just riding i had this conversation i think on the biker bar last week where it's like when somebody just gets started and they're like they sit on a bike and they're like oh yeah i'm comfortable and they don't actually know like oh you're not comfortable in this specific spot because your seat's not tilted enough or totally. like you're like get on and you're like oh no the, the stem's too high or like I don't like it. Like, like these bars are a little bit too wide. I, I prefer that. Like, but when somebody's just starting to ride, like they don't even know how to articulate what they're feeling, you know? No, not at all. And sometimes it's almost that situation of ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And some of those guys have the biggest smile on their face coming down the trail. Right. And they're like, dude, this is sick. But then you'll see a guy who's been tweaking on his bike for 10 hours and he's like, fuck, like my tire is one mil one PSI too stiff. You're like, fuck off, dude. Yeah. Right. Ride, you know? So yeah, I, I always, I, I actually said that today on the ride that we did today, I was like, look, dude, like it doesn't matter how good your bike is. It doesn't matter like how in shape you are. It doesn't matter like, like who you're riding with. Like what matters is that what you're doing right now is making you happy. Yep. And, and like, like if you need to buy a new bike that has a carbon frame and carbon wheels to make you happy, like if that's the thing that makes you feel like you're happy, sweet. But if you can do it on a fucking $800 freaking bike, yeah. then be like, like all the goal of this is, is to be happy. Like on your level, there's a different goal. But for like most yeah. of these people out there riding bike, it's like, dude, don't fucking beat yourself up over this bullshit, man. This is supposed to be fun, man. It's not supposed to be fucking stressful. Totally. You know? Well, and some people like, like the biggest crowd I ever met that does the tweaking on stuff is like the RC car crowd. Yeah. And 
and half or more than half of the fun for them is just sitting there fucking changing one millimeter shock preload and seeing how it does different, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I totally understand both sides of the spectrum, but I definitely get in my own head way too much. Like coming from the product development side, like I'll be riding down the trail and be like, oh shit, like this is just slightly off or this, you know, like my handlebar is two millimeters too high or like we just have been doing handlebar testing and going from like a 7075 aluminum to a 2014. So you have uh -huh. a softer aluminum, so you get more compliance. Like that's a huge difference. And I'll go like do a shuttle and I'll have the stiffer one on my bike. I'm like, fuck, my whole ride's ruined because the bar's stiff. <laughs> like, like sometimes I have to like slap myself, be like, quit being such a dumbass. Like just go have fun, you know? Right. But yeah, it's good, good and bad. But sometimes I can turn it off. And honestly, like going and ride with my girlfriend is like the most fun for me because I can turn that completely off and just let her go in front and I just have a good time and like. That's what I, I were talking about this earlier today. Yeah. We were talking about like ride, riding with the lady and it's like when you're and not to say that ladies can't ride because there's plenty of ladies out there can ride way better than me. But my lady doesn't ride as good as me on the downhill. She could probably climb better than me. But um, but like whenever I ride with her, it's like. I'm not trying to just like smash rocks and freaking kill shit. It's like, OK, this is when I'm going to like spend time to think about this or session that or i'm gonna get up there and dick around with this rock for a little bit while i'm waiting on her and like that's just as fun totally you know totally yeah it's a good time and i i like truly enjoy just watching people have a good time on the bike because i know how much it's brought me over the years and like going to like sedona mountain bike festival or any mountain bike festival for that matter and doing like a group ride. A good one, no dude it I is speak well enough about that event because it is like it they have captured the vibe correctly there totally yeah but going to those events and like leading a group ride and getting someone to do a new feature that they've never done or they didn't think they could do and like just seeing like the sense of accomplishment on their face like that brings me back to all the good times on a bike you yeah. know like, I'm like that's yeah. why we do this so hands down that's the most important thing is seeing someone like as far as like when i watch videos uh as a consumer i guess is the side that i'm on it's watching someone conquer something that they've never done before and proven that they can do it. And then they just see the excitement that they've done this. Yeah. You can't totally. fake that sound in somebody's voice yeah. when, when they're like fucking amped about totally. something. Yeah. I know that's funny. Like I could see that it's hard to relate to guys that are good sometimes. Cause then it's like some of the things just look so easy. And you're like, I don't want to watch that. I want to see someone like feel like they're gonna die and just barely get down this thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's and then way more entertaining. Yeah. yeah, totally. I know it's hard. I gotta figure out how to capture that a bit better. <laughs> well, I'm sure like the more the better that you get, like it's harder and harder to get that feeling, right? Yeah, totally. Like, for Taylor, I'm like, like, like for him, he's like can hit this like fucking insane gap, dude. Like flipping his bike around and upside down and sideways and shit. It's like, dude, what gives you the thrill, man? Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely harder. And I think as far as like riding trail features and like steep stuff or weird, like rock rolls and everything, once you figure out your brake control and how to like go down pretty much anything without skidding, like if you can actually manage traction, then like your riding world gets so much easier. And then it's kind of like, you can go slow down anything. You might not kill it, but you can make it down anything. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, That's kind of like when I teach people how to, when I've taught people how to ski, I always have taught them like, like 
once you learn how to stop, you can actually ride anything on this entire mountain. Totally. Same you exact thing. Know how to stop, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. And like one of my friends told me that he's like, all right, so think about your traction as you either have 100% traction or 100% braking. Anytime you're on the brakes, you're taking away from that traction meter, you know, and it's going towards braking. And 100% yeah. braking is a skid and you don't want that. So like you kind of have to meter it and be like, all right, how much traction do I have? How much braking am I giving and, and feather it a lot? And then once you can figure that out, you can roll anything pretty much, but it's hard. Yeah, and there's also this other, other part that you didn't talk about that's balls. Yeah, totally. A lot of times I'm missing the balls. Yeah. But, uh, my traction well, and my braking, I got right dialed, <laughs> but the balls part that, that the, that's the, that's the part where I don't have it all the time. <laughs> yeah. The worst is when you're scared of something, then you go into it a little bit like tight and then that's what makes you fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's hard to that just was, be like, all right, we can do this. But That's one of those things that, that always comes back to me in mountain biking is like the, from back in my BMX days was like, I remember that jump or that whatever that we were doing. And it was like how afraid you were to do it. But once you did it, it was like super easy totally you know and it was like it was like you just have to do it that one time and it's like but you can't be fucking doing it that one time and actually not have the skill set to do it <laughs> no you know? but like but like that's the one thing that i try to tell myself where it's like dude like you know how to ride you've done this like like maybe it's some exposure that's making you worried or it's like wet today and that's what's making you worry but it's like no dude like be confident in yourself and do this. And that first, after you do it once, you're like, oh yeah, I'll do that every time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have an event that, that I'm, I'm trying to do that or that I have been doing every year up in Downeyville. And ultimately I'd love to, to, to see that grow into something bigger. And I, I really, what I'm really trying to do, dude, is like make a Sedona in Downeyville. I feel like Downeyville is like primed for that kind of event. Mm -hmm. Like they have the right vibe there. They have a great trail system. They have a uh, 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 good, good uh, way to get people up to the top. And it's even like better than Sedona in that manner where it's like you get people up to the top and depending on their skill set level, like there's lots of different time frames that people come down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in explaining that, I've heard that you're, you're building something something that's a little little new yeah with the fundraiser yeah yeah so basically you know as a lot of you guys may or may not know um there was that big fire in paradise california or basically in butte county it affected a lot of the cities but that was last year kind of end of the year um and i believe like twenty thousand plus homes were burned down and you know more than thirty thousand people were displaced and so for people that aren't familiar with the area um, the area that he's talking about encompasses the, like, it's pretty close to Chico, like where you grew up. Yeah. It's so Chico, California is my hometown. And basically five miles as the crow flies is paradise. California is up the hill. So it's just up on the Ridge. And then that fire started just above paradise and encompassed the whole kind of Northern, like Northwest Butte County area and um, sorry, Northeast Butte County area. But yeah, it was pretty tragic. And so, I just been working with a few of my sponsors and um, Richard over at stickered.com has been helping me design like a really cool poster and um, some logoing. We're going to do a bike giveaway. 
So like a raffle style um, giveaway. We're gonna do a full carbon felt decree, which is like a you know felt high-end mountain bike, 140 mil travel, 150 in the front. And then it's gonna have a full Shimano XT drivetrain, stands wheels, Michelin tires, Suntour suspension, PNW cockpit, ergon saddle, ergon grips. I think it'll have some one-up components like chain guide pedals. And then it'll have a full, like you get to pick your kit from fly racing, like helmet, jersey, shorts, gloves. And then you also get like a feedback components toolkit and you get a bunch of other just random fun things. Oh, that's awesome. I think Sticker is also doing like a full, like a full uh, custom sticker set on the bike as well, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the winner will also get a full custom sticker kit basically for the bike. They get to help design that. And then at the end of it all, I'm going to get all the parts shipped to me going to film like kind of a video building it all up and then send it out to you personally. So get the bike all built. I will help build the bike, get it all set up for you and send it out. And you get to pick whatever frame size you need as well. That's so, amazing. So how do people get in on this? So um, we're going to go live with it probably next week, hopefully. And um, either next week or right at Sea Otter. And it's going to be uh, just a web page that you can go on. And every $5 that you enter gives you one entry fee, basically. Oh, sorry, cool. sorry. Every $5 is one entry. And yeah, then yeah, at the end yeah. of it all, we're going to like five bucks a foot that Santa Cruz does. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So it'll be cool. And then when um, we pick a winner, however much money we have set aside, is going to go through Chico Velo, which is like the local nonprofit in Chico, California. And a small, like about 30% of that is going to go to the high school mountain bike team um, to buy some bikes for the kids. Basically paradise high school is no more. They have a temporary high school in Chico. And a lot of those kids lost, you know, bicycles and kind of a sense of community in the fire. So yeah. we're going to help kids get on bikes and join the NICA high school league there to kind of give them some friends to like let some steam off with. Yeah. Um, and then another portion of the money is going to go towards a fund for people that um, basically it's going to, the rest of the money is going to go for therapy. So for people that basically were escaping the fire and having that kind of um, PTSD like symptoms from that experience, they're going to be able to go in and get some help and do some counseling sessions with the money. So, amazing, dude. yeah, so that'll be cool. Cause I think, you know, mental health is like such a big subject in the country we need to focus more on. And I think that there's a lot of families that are middle-class that don't necessarily qualify for like, there's a few low income programs to get some um, therapy through, but like the middle-class family can't really afford that. And so I think that there's a lot of people that could benefit from talking to someone and helping them kind of recover through that now that the dust has settled a bit. Cause it's been, you know, six months since that happened, but it's, there was such a huge influx of like, you know, aid and people and all these things coming into Chico. It's just been like a giant shit show for the past few months. And hopefully yeah. now that it's like calming down, we can do something really cool for them. What made, what, I mean, what, what made you, what made you decide you want to do that? Uh, I never even thought about not doing something. So it's yeah. like, I mean, it's my hometown. Like I love everyone there. I love the Butte County community and I want to help as much as I can. I helped a pump track get built there, like a free local pump track we did for the kids in Chico. And that's been a huge success. And if I can help give back a little bit and just get a few more people on bikes and then get some people, some therapy, um, along with all the sponsors, like they're super happy to do it. And basically I just call them. It's like, Hey, can we do this? They're like, yep, we got your back. Just tell us what you need. And that's why I work with the brands I work with. 
Yeah, no, totally. So when you when you launch that is like the best way for people to like to follow your Instagram or like Yeah, so I mean I'll post it on Instagram. I'm also gonna post um a video on YouTube basically just kind of outlining everything and we're gonna have like a digital mock-up of the bike that we can show. Like your personal YouTube? Yeah, and it says Kyle Warner MTV. Uh-huh. Um, so just kind of same as your your Instagram as well? Yep, same as Instagram too. So we're gonna do that, and then I'm just gonna make a quick video saying what we're doing, where the money's going, and then kind of showcase all the stuff you can win. And another cool thing is I have about 25 athletes that are confirmed, like um, Brandon Semenik, Nikolai Rogatkin, Richie Rude, Jill Kittner. All these people are gonna uh, donate some memorabilia too. So there's gonna be about 30 kind of runner-up prizes too. Oh wow, that's really cool, man. Yeah, that's so, really uh, cool, dude. Yeah, you hopefully all together yourself. Yeah, well, not just myself, but I've been spearheading it, and then yeah, you you know, I mean, obviously, but yeah. I mean, like, like at the end of the day, like somebody needs to drive that freaking that train, you know? Totally. And, well, and everyone's been cool. Like, I literally just hit up people on Instagram. Hey, I'm gonna do this raffle. I want would love to have some of your gear. Is that cool? And like getting replies from all the guys, like Sevenek and all these guys, like, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. So that's going to be really cool. And I think we're going to probably run it for about a month to a month and a half, probably more towards a month and a half just to get some more support for it. And then uh pink bike vital and like the lone wolf will all post about it too. So. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be cool. I'd love to raise, you know, 30 or $50,000 and, and be able to like actually give a good chunk to like the Chico Butte County community to get people some counseling. Cause I know like, Dude, there's so many people that have like full on PTSD from driving through the fire, you know, going down the freeway. The whole town of Paradise is set up on propane. So like yeah. all the propane tanks are exploding. There's fireballs shooting everywhere. People are like literally thinking they're gonna lose their lives. And then Yeah, they- no, I mean I, I watched some video of like some cop driving through there, like whenever that shit was happening. It was like I couldn't even imagine if that was like driving down the street past my house. Like Yeah. That- fucking insane like that's one thing about california man that's like that's rough to see that you know like people always think about like i'm I'm not from california i'm from pennsylvania so like in my head like california is like all beaches and palm trees and then they have earthquakes but like honestly the earthquakes aren't like what fuck shit up out here it's the fires you know and it's like when you see some of that footage like drone footage of like like redding like when they had their fire yeah. like it's just insane man it's like thousands of people without homes yeah it's it's unimaginable like i went back in december kind of right after it happened and uh basically was driving around trying to just get like a an idea of the devastation and just try to see how would be the best way to help and i went to like one of the mobile home parks and like the entire mobile home park is gone and there was a lady there. Her name was actually Angel. And she was just sitting there in her car, like trying to catch the cats and the, the animals that escaped. And she had been there for like 10 days every single day trying to find her cat that got out during the fire. And, you know, that's like emotional shit, man. Yeah. Like, she broke- that's, that's fucking rough, dude. It's like when I was younger, like that wouldn't have a lot of fucking weight, you know, because I'd just be like, oh, sweet. That's awesome. Um, how am I going to get drunk tonight and whether or not I'm going to get laid. And it's like, as I got a little older, all of a sudden it's like, you think about, you know, like, dude, how would I deal with, like some of these people like, like went down to their, their, their buddy's house in Sacramento that night. 
and and we're never able to come like like imagine that like tonight you're gonna go over to your buddy's house drink some beers with him you're thinking oh, i might stay down there dude because i don't want to drive home it's a long drive and then everything that you didn't have in your car is gone well and your town is gone yeah. every building like it, it's so crazy to go up there because literally every building is gone like there's yeah. nothing and you're like this was a town. That's where I used to go up and ride street and ride mountain bikes in paradise. And like, we'd ride our road bikes up there all the time yeah. and it's gone. Like there's nothing. And it's so weird. Cause like the trees and everything are just perfect. And then all of a sudden, like all the houses just burned cause the ashes were blown through the wind. So. Well, that's one of those cities too, where, where I remember hearing like, they weren't sure if that city was even going to be able to come back from it. Yeah, I don't think they really have an idea yet if it's going to be able to be recovered because there was, think about in every single person's garage, think about how many gallons of oil you have laying around and all the aerosol stuff and everything toxic you could imagine and all of that just burn and then just leach down into the groundwater. Yeah. So that whole area is pretty toxic right now. So I don't know what's going to happen long term, but. Well, and even outside of that, like some of the stuff that I was hearing where they're like, dude, you don't even know if like, like the cost to rebuild all that infrastructure is like, like it, it doesn't like, it may not even be like fiscally like responsible. Yeah, it might not make sense. You totally. know, like some people may be able to do that, but it's like, let's just think about like, like I work in the tech industry and like if you're in an area that doesn't have fiber out there to be able to get internet, like it's like they need like hundreds of thousands of dollars to like maybe make that make sense. Totally. So like if that city doesn't build out completely, it's like, dude, if we don't have 30,000 subscribers there, it's not worth us to freaking spend a, a, a half a million dollars or $10 million to build this because we're not going to recoup that money for 70 years. Yeah. You know, totally. like, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. And I hope that, um, I mean, obviously to this fundraiser thing that we're doing is just going to be like a very, very, very small you know, chunk of making things a little bit better. But as long as we can help people, you know, have a place to discuss what happened and try to get them back on track and then give the kids an area to go hang out with friends. And that's all I care about. Yeah, I did a, a little fundraiser thing for the the, the stuff up in Red, Reading. And um, it was that same thing. Like there was a bunch of bikes that we were able to, to like, not me specifically, but I was part of, part of it. It was like, you know, helping promote the, 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 the thing that they were doing is like, that's a big deal, man. It's like, just to like the, some of those kids, like I saw pictures on Instagram, like after they got their bikes, it was like, they had nothing, but it was like, man, I got a fucking bicycle again. You know, totally. that's like, it's worth its weight in gold, man. You totally. know? Yeah, and there's a one of my other sponsors is amaincycling.com and they do like you know kind of like a Jensen or a, a performance bicycles online web store. They have a really cool company, but basically they have spent so much time and money just building and gathering different bicycles cuz they have a local shop there in Chico too. And yeah. I went down there and helped them build some bikes for kids and for families uh in like right before Christmas and yeah, it's crazy, but there's so many people there that are willing to help. And I think the one thing that we're, we always focus on material goods, trying to get people back in their house and back situated as fast as possible. But I think mental health is like something that sometimes gets overlooked. And if a family, you know, could go in and the kids could kind of chat and like decompress a little bit, then hopefully it'll help them. 
So no, that's I think that's really cool that you're you're like leaning towards that aspect of it as well because emotionally that's tragic, you know, and, and like too many of us try to just like ruck up and drive on and totally. not deal with shit and and that like that has a lot of, of other ripples, you know. It, yeah, it does big time. And I think that you know, even just doing this and the Butte County community feeling all the love from all the pro athletes that are going to help donate as well. Like, I think that just knowing that they're, they're thought of and supported by everyone is like a huge help too. So I don't know. It's, it'll be cool. I hope, I think it'll be really cool. And I appreciate everyone who's helped so far and can't wait to get it rolling. So I'm excited. Yeah. So definitely swing by his fucking Instagram or uh, his YouTube channel. As you said, it was Kyle Warner MTB. Yep. Yeah. That's both of them. So yeah. either one, <laughs> but I'll throw those in the show more. Yeah. Uh, and I'll let you guys know as soon as it does go live. So you're kind of hearing about this first, but yeah, everything's all built out. I got all the parts um, secured and ready to go. And basically we're just doing the last few tweaks on the website and then launching it. So that's super exciting, man. That, that's super exciting. I think that, um, I think that if you're in any aspect of this community, whether you're a pro rider, you're an Instagram person, you're a YouTube person. I think if you're not doing some kind of work to like kind of give back to the community, you're doing it wrong. Totally. You know, and like even one of my first like like things that I was part of, there was like a guy that um, was just trying to like raise some money for one of his buddies that was in his unit in the military that had PTSD real bad. And he's like, this dude really needs a bike, you know? So like, let's see if we can like get some parts together between like our, our group of friends to build this guy a bike, you know? And he had posted on like MTBR and we ended up starting a GoFundMe or he ended up starting a GoFundMe and I like helped, I did a video to like try to bring some awareness to it. We ended up getting this dude a fucking, a, like a sick ass bike. And that guy's life was changed from that, you know? Totally. Not only from the fact that he had the bike, but like the the emotional part of people that don't know me were saw value in giving giving him something. Yeah. You know, like that's that a long way. Yeah. I mean, I remember just as a kid growing up, like the the moment that I realized that I could become something, become a pro, anything was when I saw Aaron Rodgers get drafted to the NFL and become like a star because he's from Chico yeah. and like I'm from Chico and I was like, holy shit, I can do something with my life. Just like that small, just him succeeding made me feel like I could succeed. And yeah. I think that having people think of you and knowing that like, Hey, the whole bike community knows who Butte County is. We're all behind you. Like we want to help support everyone as much as we can. And that goes a long way. Sometimes you forget that you're actually like, influencing people you know yeah totally you know it's like 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 for me i'm like dude i'm freaking sitting in my garage drinking beers talking to people and like i'm i'm riding bikes here and there and it's like just today i had a guy tell me like dude like if it wasn't for watching your channel like you're a big dude and he, he was a big guy too and he was like he's like you know like that really like inspired me to know that like no, I can go out there and do that, you know? And it was That's like, awesome. you know, it was like one those things where it's like, holy shit, man. Like when I started this, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that I would be ever an inspiration to people. You <laughs> know? And, I, and I still don't think I'm an inspiration to people. I'm like, dude, 
fucking fat guy, man. I'm freaking drinking beers and like <laughs> riding bikes, allegedly. You know, like, 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 how the hell did I do that? But it's like those things where it's like I've had guys like send me an email and be like, "Dude, your your videos just made me laugh while I was in the hospital because I I broke my fucking whatever riding bike and and it, it, and it, it just that little bit of like happiness was good for me and I'm like." holy shit man like <laughs> how the fuck dude is <laughs> like that's, that's really cool yeah you know and I, i'm sure it's the same thing for you like it's like you're, you're 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 probably like giving some little kid a high five or something like that and that kid could be the next kyle warner you know yeah. no like, it's cool and that's one reason that i really want to um i've been focusing really hard on trying to build a portfolio as like a product tester so that i can be of value to companies without having to worry about my social media numbers because like i don't want to do things for likes or views or any of that stuff i just want to do things because i truly enjoy it and i want to be able to connect with people and like you know help kids out and like me and uh this guy biker braid who's on instagram too like we're doing a free clinic here in boise um at the end of april so it's like open to basically 75 people and there's beginner, intermediate, and advanced. We're gonna do a free clinic on a Saturday and just teach people how to ride. And you know, it's just stuff like that. So that's what I really care about. And I'd like to do that rather than have to be worried about like, oh, I don't have enough subscribers or followers or any of this. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're we're getting pretty close to two hours here. Tell yeah. me what's your what's your favorite place to ride up in Boise, dude? Uh, there's this trail called Dry Creek, and uh -huh. it's so sick. It's like a maybe I don't know. I think it's like 13, 14 mile shuttle downhill and it's a blast the whole time it's high speed ripping through the woods and there's a couple like little fun creek crossings with wooden ladder bridges and good just flow i love anything that has good flow and and over 20 mile an hour average speed like that's my favorite yeah yeah anything that i can ever get over 20 miles an hour is probably a good deal for me so <laughs> <laughs> dude there's one trail called uh i think it's like eighth street trail it's like a moto trail that i ride on my e-bike sometimes and i'll pedal up and hit that and like literally there's sections where you're going 45 miles an hour for like a sustained period of time. It's like, yeah, da, 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 da. like That's insane, dude. so sick. I've hit 40 miles an hour on my bike once, dude. And that was definitely freaking, <laughs> maybe I've done it more than once, but it was only once that I actually saw it on the Garmin. So I was like, holy shit, dude, I was cooking. <laughs> yeah. I raced the, the mega avalanche in 2013. Oh, you did that? Yeah. Like big race in France, like the master. Dude, what was that like? It was insane, dude. But it's five minutes of like a snow. Basically, if people don't know, it's a 400 person mass start race on a glacier in France. And you race. It five is fucking stupid, dude. If you haven't seen a <laughs> video of this, like it is 400 people just eating shit for at least the first three minutes. Man. Dude, it was crazy. And the year I went was in 2013. It was the most snow they've ever had. And I hit 62 miles an hour on the snow. Oh yeah, dude, you're watching these guys like fucking they're just, like flying, and then it's like, oh, there's a turn right there, and they're like just like people just like like just piling up on the corners. Man. Just, it was like the only time I've ever been at a bike race, and I felt like I was getting ready for war. Yeah, <laughs> like I was ready to like strap my helmet on, just be on beach in Normandy, just going for it. I was like, holy shit, we're gonna die! Like, there's not like, oh, well, we only had sixteen quadriplegics. Uh, and, <laughs> like, it's just like so fast. Yeah, in Europe, they just run it a little bit more ragged. They just, you know, it's like, oh yeah, do what you want, go have fun. It's crazy. 
Mexicans don't have the same kind of lawyers that we have in the United States. I think. No, they don't. Yeah. yeah they're, they're like, oh, like, like even like the cops. Ever, I used to live in Germany, and like if there was a fight in the bar, like they would come into the bar, throw tear gas in, beat everybody up, and then afterwards ask questions. Totally. <laughs> Like there was no police brutality. It was like, oh, well, you shouldn't have been there, you dumbass. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I can only imagine how they run their freaking mega avalanche. Yeah, it was cool. I'm actually gonna go back this year. So this summer, I'm doing it uh, in the e-bike category. I'm gonna try that out and see what it's all about. So <laughs> that sounds super fun, man. Yeah, it should be cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up, man. Hey, dude, I super appreciate you freaking taking the time to sit down, and chat with me. Um, I would have never thought whenever you showed up in my garage to sell me that bike that a couple years later, we'd be doing a podcast together. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's a small world. Like you said, the bike yeah, industry yeah. is small. It's cool. funny how, how things fall into place, man. <laughs> that, well, thanks that, for inviting me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There, there's like no doubt about it. Like I, I, when I bumped into you Sedona, I think it was last year and I was like, dude, we got to fucking get together, man. Totally. Right? It's just it. I for me, I just feel like that story of like I bought the bike from you, and like I had no fucking clue who you were. You're like, oh yeah, I actually race mountain bikes. <laughs> like, so it's just a fun story, and and honestly, you're a great guy. Uh, um, I think that anybody that sit here and listen to our conversation, there's no way that they won't won't know. Like, you you definitely have a big heart, and you're you're not um you're not trying to bullshit your way through, through life, dude. And I, I appreciate <laughs> that, man. No, just trying to float through life like everyone else and try to have a good time and, and do the right thing as much as possible. So that's where I'm at. And luckily I found bikes and that's made life a lot more enjoyable for me. That's awesome, man. So everybody out there, anybody that's threw up a super chat while we were chatting, thank you very much. I'm sorry if I missed some, I really didn't have much. I wasn't paying attention to the comments that, that much this time. I apologize to you guys, but honestly, like Kyle was, was quite, quite the interesting person. So it was easy to get drawn, drawn into that next week. We are going to have Hans Ray on the show. If you don't know who he is, look him up, dude. He is, a uh, 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 been a, actually, Hey Steve, why don't you tell him who Hans Ray is? I think he rides bikes. He rides bikes. Hans is a man, dude. A little while. He's been, so, so when we were in Sedona, um, that I, I drove down there with three other guys and uh, he was one of them. And the night before we were getting ready to leave, they, they were, they were gearing up to go big on, on the alcohol scene. And I was like, dude, it's a 12 hour drive from Sonona back to Sacramento. Fuck you bitches. I'm going to bed tonight. And so I, I, I stayed back in the room, and went to sleep. And these guys showed up at like fucking two or three in the morning <laughs> may or may not have been housed. And they're like, dude, we met Hans Ray, man. And we were fucking hanging out with him. He's like super, you know who Hans Ray is? And I was like, actually, I don't know who Hans Ray is because I don't know who pro riders are. Apparently, I met Kyle Warner in my garage, didn't know who he was. <laughs> and uh, Steve proceeded to tell me who Hans Ray was about 16 times. 17. Yeah, and they were like, dude, we got his card. He's going to be on the biker bar. And I'm like, you guys are like my fucking media crew now or what? that's what's going on? So, anyways, so Hans Ray is going to be on. He's a, a trials rider from the, the from Germany back in the back in the day from Germany from old Deutschland, the motherland, right? So um, he'll be he'll be on next week, hopefully. Every time I'm just about to start a show, I'm fucking stressing, dude. I'm like, are they? Coming? 
I don't know. Is this going to be the one where somebody flakes something in the last second? So next week, hopefully Hans Ray. Um, thank you guys, dude, for watching. Subscribe and support. There's 28 of you guys that are still on right now because you know I'm like wrapping this shit up. Hit the thumbs up button before you do that. If you didn't like it, hit the thumbs down button twice. That'll be awesome. And uh, remember one thing and one thing only, it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get the fuck out and be one, bitches. <laughs>